Welcome to Ask Pastor Steve. And here's a question, actually four questions we received from one of you. I hope you don't mind if I tell them, Antoine, that it's you. These came from Antoine, a guy in our church. Here's his question number one. Good question. Can a person accept Christ as their Savior while also denying his deity? In other words, can Unitarians accept Christ's sacrifice and claim him as Lord while still holding the Unitarian position? Great questions. I want to put it a little differently. So to start with, can a person believe and be saved without a fully developed doctrine of God the second person, without a you know, like a, a Nicene development without quoting Athanasius um, on the deity of Christ. Can a person be saved? Yes, absolutely. I was one of them. Uh, if you want one from the Bible, probably the thief on the cross. Like, did he have a fully developed, full-orbed, full-bodied New Testament development of an understanding of the nature of Christ, his person, and so on? Probably not. He knew there's something special about that man. Maybe he had a hunch. This might be God over here, but he didn't have a fully developed doctor. So can that person be saved? Yeah, we all believe that they can be. But that's not really your question. You're asking, can they deny his deity? So here's a person who's heard about the deity of Christ, and they deny it. You've shown them in Scripture, and they deny it. Can that be a saved person? Well, hardly. Because we believe in this thing called Holy Spirit illumination. And when God saves you, he also gives you light and he opens your eyes and he gives you the Holy Spirit. And you can see truth and you receive the Bible as God's truth. It's very clear in the Bible that Jesus Christ is God, the second person in the Holy Trinity. So I would answer Antoine, no. If they're they're a Unitarian and they're rejecting the doctrine of the divinity of Christ, um, they need to come to Christ and be saved. But a second question, also a really interesting one. You wrote, Relating to the current Israeli-Palestine conflict, what should a Christian's response to those who hold, what should it be to those who hold a pro-Palestinian position? What about pro-Israel? Great question. So I'm going to say this is really not a biblical question. The Bible doesn't answer that question for us. The Bible doesn't say when you get down to 2023 and there's a war, you ought to be on this side or that side. Personally, I'm very much on the side of Israel. Personally, I'm very much not in the Palestinian side. But the Bible doesn't say. It's not a Bible question. It's a politics question. And it's also a loyalty question. Are we loyal to the people that we've had a working relationship with for a lot of years? They've been loyal to us. We've been loyal to them. Do we want to stay friends with our friends? It's that kind of issue. But it's a political and historical issue. Let me put it another way. So way back in AD 70, God scattered them. That land was pretty much a howling wilderness ever since, almost down until 1948. In 1948, the world gave that land back to Israel, saying, you all need a place that's your own. You all need a place where you can go. We're taking you back to the land you used to inhabit. They've been there ever since. Historically and politically, I'd say it's their land. But that's a political issue that I'm speaking to, not a Bible issue. I'm with Israel. Next question. Great question. How should a believer go about the Mark 16, 9 through 20 problem? And should we view these final verses as canonical, belonging to the Bible, along with the rest of the Bible? Great question. So some people might not know what he's talking about. There are those verses, Mark 16, 9 through 20, and they exist in some old manuscripts and they they do not exist in some others. And it kind of depends on which manuscripts do you wait, which view do you take. So this gets us into the issue, the discipline called textual criticism. I happened to go crazy and obsessed over textual criticism when I I was a seminary student and for some years afterwards. So I've spent a good bit of time in this. And there are a couple of major views about how do we determine which manuscripts are the most faithful representatives of the originals. 
And some people think the ones without Mark 6, 16, 9 and following, some people think the ones with that. I happen to be a guy who uh, believes that it's probably original. So I go more to the side of the, um, what would it be called, the majority text. And the majority text, the majority of ancient manuscripts have that. Even some of the ancient, ancient ones that don't have it, like one of them, it's a very famous old unseal manuscript. It has a space the size of Mark 16, 9 through 20 right there. People say, well, it doesn't have it. Well, its author knew he had it. He had. He knew how big it would be. So uh, it depends on where you land on that issue of textual criticism. Uh, some versions of the Bible are rooted in, are based upon one textual critical tradition, and some versions are rooted on another. Does it matter which Bible I have? They will all lead you to saving faith in Jesus Christ. They will all lead you to sound doctrine. Don't worry about it. But I go with the, the, the manuscripts that have Mark 16. Next question, final one. This is really good. Thank you, Antoine. Apart from the Bible, what are your top three books that you would recommend someone read to help them in their spiritual journey? Well, hard to say, Antoine. It depends a lot on the reader. Like different readers are at different places. It's kind of like asking me, should, should I deadlift 700 pounds to be a good deadlifter? Only if you've been deadlifting hard with no injuries for 15 years. So you have to develop a certain kind of ability in reading to read certain things with profit. So for most of us, for most of us who are, you know, the rank and file of God's people, I would uncategorically recommend, number one, J.I. Packer's amazing book, Knowing God. Like if any book makes it out of our era and lasts, and most of them won't, so they're not worth reading anyway. If any any book is going to last, it'll be J.I. Packer's Knowing God. That'll be first. Second, J.I. Packer's A Quest for Godliness, also an awesome book. Are you seeing a trend here? J.I. Packer, J.I. Packer, A Quest for Godliness. Wonderful, wonderful book. Then I'm going to leave Packer. Number three, I'm going to go for John Bunyan's famous Pilgrim's Progress. So for much of church history since he wrote that, um, the most read book on the planet would, would have been the Bible, and the second most read book on the planet, at least in Christian areas, would have been John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. It's said that like in 1700s, 1800s, even early 1900s, uh, every church-going British family had a copy of the Bible, and they had a copy of Pilgrim's Progress. Why? Because it's so good. So I would recommend that with one caveat, and that is I think he keeps Pilgrim struggling with his burden on his back too long. Pilgrim believed, man. Let the burden off. Let the guy have peace. So I would have changed that, but he's Bunyan and I'm just Steve. Uh, I'm going to recommend a fourth book. You asked for three, but this one is for the serious readers, for guys who've been doing deadlifts 700 pounds for 15 years, or for those who want to become that. And this would be Mortimer Adler. That's his name. Mortimer Adler's serious book titled how to read a book. He makes it so hard to read a book, such a painstaking process to read a book, that somebody else did a spoof on him and they wrote a little thing titled, How to Read a Book Forever or something like that, because you're only going to get through a few books. But that's some of his point. Pick a few books that are worth it and read them really well. Mortimer Adler's book on how to read a book and then start reading books that way. By the way, on my copy, there's a picture of him on the back cover, actually inside the back cover. And I happened to be in a, an airport in Chicago a few years back, and there was Mortimer Adler. He's like a famous guy, 
a really brilliant philosopher, and he was very old, sitting right across from me. And I thought, I've got to say hi to him. So I went over, excuse me, sir, are you Mortimer Adler? And he said, yes, I am. And then he's such an amazing man. I couldn't think of two more words to say. I was like in stunned silence because he's so brilliant. But I met him in a Chicago airport. Read his book, How to Read a Book, if you want to become a very serious reader. Thank you, Antoine. Really enjoyed answering your questions. Send in some more. Bless you.